Welcome to Unpack the Pursuit, a podcast where we have real talk about change. Unpack the Pursuit is dedicated to helping us think differently about change and how we get to the places we so desperately want to go. Get ready for empowering tips and tools, lots of storytelling and inspiring interviews. We are your hosts, Natalie and Molly. Let's unpack this. Yo, what's up guys? Welcome to this week's episode. Molly here. It is just me today. And I'm really excited about this episode. Normally, I try to build out some sort of framework for the introduction of each episode, but it's 10.15 on a Monday night and I'm just going to wing it. I've got a beer and some water and (laughs) that's it. That's all I've got. (laughs) Some beer and some water and I'm going to wing this. So like I said in in our intro, We have a lot of tips and tools, lots of storytelling and inspiring interviews. This is an interview that encompasses all of those aspects. There's lots of tips and tools, lots of things about storytelling uh, coming up. And this is definitely an inspiring interview, at least for me. And to top it all off, the cherry on top is that the audio quality, I have to say, is really, really good, which if you are an avid listener of Unpack the Pursuit, you know, sometimes we have audio quality issues and we don't care. We post stuff anyway. So this episode has great audio quality and it's full of quality content. So make sure you listen to it all the way through. I'm interviewing Stephanie Judd. She is one part of Wolf and Heron and helps people understand and develop tools and skills of influence. She will go into all of that coming up. I love Stephanie. Well, let me back up. I do love Stephanie, but I also love storytelling. If you know me, you know that the last three or four years of my life, I've really grown into loving story storytelling events and spoken word events, anything where there's like an open mic and people can get up on stage and tell their story. I love it. I love it all. I love the cringiness of it. I love the emotional aspect of it. I love the intimacy It started in Los Angeles when I was living out there and I went to the Poetry Lounge, which I believe is on Fairfax Avenue in West Hollywood, but I could be completely making that up. And it just, I don't know, it pulled at my heartstrings and something inside me blossomed and I started writing poetry and I started performing that poetry. And then I started looking for storytelling events and telling stories on stage and listening to stories. And it just has brought so much joy into my life. And I think why I believe storytelling to be such an important aspect of my life is because not only does the skill set of building a narrative help, help me in a lot of ways, it helps me express myself to people I love, it helps me in my job as a marketer, but I think it also helps me build skills in terms of writing my own positive narrative of my life. And that sounds kind of hippie-ish and crazy, but stick with me here. I think some of us can relate to the fact that sometimes we tell negative narratives about ourselves to ourselves. And sometimes we get stuck in a mindset where we're not very nice to ourselves. And building storytelling skills outside of ourselves and for other reasons, I think does help us intrinsically tell better stories to ourselves about ourselves. And so, yeah, I just feel, I don't know, I just feel really, really passionate and committed to this idea that storytelling is an important thing to explore as a human. So there's that. And then there's Stephanie Judd. Oh my gosh, I just adore her. So a quick context of how I met Stephanie. I worked for her sister, Tilka, as as her live-in nanny in Zurich, Switzerland. And I took care of their adorable babies, Chloe and Loic, who are twins. 
They were two and a half when I started nannying them. They're five now, which is absolutely mind boggling. But I met Stephanie when she came to visit Tilka. And immediately I was sort of intimidated slash inspired. Just thought what she did for work was so interesting. And the way she kind of the aura she had and the presence she commanded of the room, I just was like, wow, this, this woman is cool. I was excited for this conversation. I was so thrilled and I knew it was going to be good, but dude, it's so good. I'm blabbering. This is what happens when I don't prepare a framework. Let's get into it. Listen to the whole thing. Sit back, relax. I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace out. Today, we're talking about the power of influential storytelling and how a knack for storytelling led two entrepreneurs to carve a path of influence. Storytelling is often seen as a vulnerable pursuit. I frequent a monthly storytelling event here in Nashville, and I can't tell you the number of times I've heard, I wish I could do that. I hope by the end of this conversation, you feel empowered enough to say, I can, because you can. We're going to unpack this today with Stephanie Judd, an experienced speaker, facilitator, and coach who specializes in the tools and skills of influence. She and her partner, Kara Davidson, founded Wolf and Heron on the belief that with a bit of intentionality, anyone can lead through inspiration and convene powerfully. As a founder of Wolf, at Wolf and Heron, she helps people understand and develop the tools and skills of influence through interactive workshops, speaking, and one-on-one coaching. I know firsthand how passionate she is about her work, so I'm really excited to have her on here today, and let's get the ball rolling. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. You founded Wolf and Heron with your partner, Kara. What does the company do and what inspired you to found Wolf and Heron? Fundamentally, we are students of influence. We are fascinated by what it takes to change the way that people think and act. And when we were in our early and mid careers as you know, professionals in the workplace, we felt like I think a lot of people feel in their 20s and early 30s, that we didn't have the platform to make the difference that we wanted to make. And it was not until we actually, this is where Kara and I overlapped, we overlapped in um, a change management consulting firm, where what we were essentially doing was professional change, change, creating change organizationally. And we were working with executives and big, big companies to implement strategic change across the board. And it was in that experience that Kara and I actually felt like, you know what, we're learning all of these really interesting skills around what it takes to change the way that people think and act. Why can't these skills also be accessible to the 20 and 30 somethings that wish they had, they could have more of an impact. That was part of the genesis of Wolf and Heron. And it's, it seems to be where we constantly come back to is this finding this way that we can lead through influence, lead through inspiring others rather than relying on our authority or our expertise to give us credibility. And it's through that, through studying that, that we've become really, really interested in what we do, frankly. Now what we do is we offer professional development, we offer coaching, we offer all kinds of services that help people figure out how they can be compelling, inspirational leaders. I love that because I'm very passionate about, I've, I've spoken 
to, on this point in past podcast episodes, but I used to work for an equity crowdfunding platform. We were helping entrepreneurs raise capital from the crowd. And what I loved about working for that company was that we were empowering entrepreneurs to do what they already can do, but need like the toolbox and resources to do. I love that you are empowering people by offering those resources because people have it within their jurisdiction to make things happen, but sometimes they don't have the toolbox to do it. Yeah, I find it. I mean, it's fascinating. I think when we first started, we were thinking about early and mid-career professionals who are kind of career oriented and working in big companies. But the more that we've been working, the more we find ourselves falling into the entrepreneur universe as well. Very often, some of the things that we talk about are straight up imposter syndrome you know, just developing confidence in order to show up and say, you know what, I can be here. I deserve to be here. I am somebody that's worthy of this. And that interestingly does play into how influential you can be in the long run, how you make your first impression and how powerfully you can communicate your message. Yes, there's lots of parallels. So I hear you. I don't want to get too off track already. We just started, but um, imposter syndrome is something I feel so passionate about talking about because we all feel that. And there are CEOs of giant companies feeling that in their seats right now. And so I think it's such an interesting topic to talk about. We've talked to many solo entrepreneurs on Unpack the Pursuit in the past, but you're the first with a partner in crime, Kara. So how has your partnership relationship impacted your business? Great question. When Kara and I talk about our partnership, we think about it in two dimensions. We think about it from a practical perspective and from this emotional, spiritual perspective. And I think when you ask the question, how has the partnership impacted the business? Where I go first is we would never be a business if we hadn't first been a partnership. Kara and I were solopreneurs when we started our independent businesses, but we were already friends and professional colleagues from our past. So we were leaning on each other for emotional support in the process of building, building the business, the businesses that we're each trying to build. Solopreneurship's really hard. We are both very social creatures. We really wanted and needed accountability and simultaneously emotional support. And so when we decided to go into business as a partnership, there was a very practical perspective of we had to develop an operating agreement and we had to sign legal documents and we had to entwine our lives in a way that was so significant that that we knew that we were both in with both feet. And I think prior to that, in our solopreneurship endeavors, there had always been, well, I'll try this, but maybe I'll try that, but maybe I'll try this other thing. And the fact that we were now so fully committed to each other also committed us to the business in a way that was very symbolic in a lot of ways. And so, so that was, that was the genesis, you know, our partnership, the genesis of partnership is also the genesis of the business. But now when I think about, you know, four years later, we're still in operation and we're still doing what we do. And from a practical perspective, the fact that we have to defend our decisions to each other, the fact that we have to communicate with each other, the fact that we have to track what we've done and then tell each other what we've done, it just practically makes us more rigorous about how we operate our business. And that's really powerful. And then simultaneously, we're friends and entrepreneurship is hard. And so, <laughs> and so just, being, just being there for each other is so important for us that you know, I think, again, we would not be a business if we didn't have each other. 
Yeah. I can't imagine going into business with someone that wasn't a friend of mine. Like I feel like I would need to have that emotional connection, but the caveat to that is I also am fearful of going into business with a friend. And so I love that you brought up the operational agreement because holy crap, that's so important because almost, I, I think people have the misconception that if you go into business with a friend or a family member, that you don't need those kind of legal documents. Dude, you need them even more. You need, you need even more. Have that. You need to have that barrier. And I'm talking as if I know, like I have no idea, but like, it feels like that would be true. And so I'm love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when I was a, a solopreneur and when Carol was a solopreneur, we didn't have operating agreement because it was just each of us having our own business. But the idea of deciding in day one, what day 70 years from now was going to be, what it was going to look like for us to dissolve as a business, how we would value our business, what would happen if one of us died, right? Like all of those things, having those conversations not only made us more confident about how we were going to operate and made sure, like made us more confident of each other, it built trust. And operational business trust that we didn't have as friends and as colleagues. And so absolutely, it was, it was super, super important. And every time I have pairs of people coming to me asking me for partnership advice, the first thing I say is get an operating agreement because it's so necessary. Actually, minor story, as COVID happened and the, you know, all the economic disaster relief stuff happened, my responsibility as CFO, I was in charge of applying for all of this relief funding and stuff. And what was really interesting is that because we were a partnership, there was actually extra layers that we had to go through legally in terms of our documentation in order to show that both of us were on board with taking on the liability of a loan. And even just something that simple is really, you know, that was only enforced because we had an operating agreement that has been filed with the IRS. And so, so we both have a say in terms of how our business is operating. And that was really, really, you know, just that moment, I was kind of like, oh yeah, we are a business that is a partnership and that is important for us. What a great learning actually from all this COVID nonsense. So we love to dive into the Valley of Despair on Unpack the Pursuit uh, with our guests, which is really just a way to describe the moment when you're just at your lowest point and you're about to give up. And in that, in that case, maybe that for Wolf and Heron or for entrepreneurs is when you're like, screw this, I don't want to be my own entrepreneur or a partnership. I want to maybe just not do this at all. Um, and maybe it's not that dramatic. It can also be like minor Valley of Despairs where you just feel low and exhausted by the process. So do you have a moment that comes to mind during your entrepreneurial journey? And it could have to do with your partner, or maybe it's just something you went through yourself. The first thing that comes to mind and probably the most dramatic in my entrepreneurial journey is that decision to give up on solopreneurship and become a partnership. Both of us were very low, very, very low when when we decided to launch Wolf and Heron, because we each had our own brands. We had spent all this time and energy working on our own brands. And then it was really hard. And especially because Kara and I are both professional services people, we're not product people. We were trying to convince people to pay us a lot of money for our knowledge, essentially, for our advice giving. And, and we had imagined that that the consulting slash professional development universe was going to be a much easier for us to find inroads into because that's where we came from. We came from consulting. We had all these 
professional relationships. And it was hard. It was very hard. And it was very hard to be taken seriously. And it was very hard to just hold ourselves accountable to a timeline and actually get shit done. Excuse my language. And it was, it was just very, very, very exhausting. And actually, it was in the midst of all that, I mean, I'm going to say straight up depression, that Kara and I actually decided, both really depressed right now, let's travel to each other and help each other figure it out. And it was in when we went to go travel, I actually went to Kara. She lives in upstate New York. She's super far away from me. I'm in Colorado. And so I went all the way to her parents' house because we were both broke and didn't have houses at the point. <laughs> so, and so I went to her parents' house and I spent a week in her basement with her. And it was by the end of the week that we said, you know what, we should be a partnership instead. And maybe that's the way to go. And that was the thing, the absolute turning point for us as, as entrepreneurs in, in our journey. Wow. I love that. I appreciate your honesty because we get to this question a lot. And Natalie and I have a lot of conversations about how we need to push back a little bit on our guests to really get like that vulnerable piece because entrepreneurship is such a gritty journey and anyone who's an entrepreneur knows, but anyone who hasn't dabbled or maybe is attempting to doesn't quite get it yet until they're there. Um, And that's the story I heard time and time again, when I was working with entrepreneurs, that low low point is real. Oh, yeah. And I, I also think what's so great about your story too, is that the flower, like the blooming comes after that. Like you have to get there. And it's like, you went, visited your friend, slept in a basement, probably thought your life was over. And now look at you now. I mean, entrepreneurship has a lot of roller coasters. And it's a real ride for sure. And and Kara and I, I think part of the reason that we now have each other, it helps to stabilize that ride a little bit because we can lean on each other and we can lean into each other. There will be weeks when I just don't feel like it. And I'm grateful that Kara is there because it's on the weeks that I don't feel like it, that she'll probably push a little harder and then we'll trade. Right. And she might even check in and be like, Hey, Steph, what's going on? Do you need, like, do you want to take a a week, you know, and just kind of check out for a minute? Is that what you need? And then I'll be like, no, 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 I got it. I got it. But it's, it's that, it's that emotional check that helps us with the stability of the ride, because it is a very, very wild ride. If you're on your own, it's harder to have those checks and balances and you don't have an accountability partner you know, it's just not as easy. I mean, I really have a lot of respect for solo entrepreneurs, but, uh, and I think all of us have it. I think all of us have it within us to be able to do it, but it's almost like, but do you, do you want to? And also if you can have a partnership like you and Kara, I don't know, to me, that feels like way better. So much more fun. It's so much more fun. I mean, I think actually one of the other things about Kara and I, I mean, we are women, we do like to chat, And we like collaboration more than anything else in the world. When we were first establishing our values as a business, it was so important to us that we were like, no, 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 no. The one and only thing that we want is to be able to collaborate with people. And so we're very pro-collaboration in every respect. And it's absolutely core to, to our partnership as well. And it's core to how we can operate. So yeah, it's just more fun. There is this old TED talk called The Power of Vulnerability with Brene Brown, who I personally very much love and adore. And she talks about a time where she was described as a storyteller and how the academic insecure part of her thought, well, why not Magic Pixie? (laughs) It's true that there's this notion of acquiring storyteller as an identity could be seen kind of like frivolous by some people. Um, We're just not taking that seriously. Actually, this client that I've been working with 
recently put storytelling on his band word list because he thinks it's overused. And I just personally don't agree. Like storytelling is one of my favorite words and it's one thing that I'm really passionate about. So why is storytelling important to you? And how did you fall into this line of work to begin with? It's a very good question and all great points. We came at storytelling from the perspective of influence, right? We are influence scientists first and foremost, and we're interested in what it takes to change how people think and act. Full stop. Influence has two dominant components to it, power and pathway. Power is what you come to the table with. It's what makes you influential before you even open your mouth. It's what sets you up. It's your baseline. It's your support system. That's, what, that's your influence power. Pathway is the specific approach that you take to influence a specific person to a specific objective. And so when we talk about influence, we're constantly talking about power and pathway. There's nine sources of influence power. There's 10 pathways that you can take. Storytelling is number three on the influence power list. It's the third most powerful out of nine. Storytelling is also number two on the pathway list. It's the second most powerful out of 10. And this is this is reinforced by scientific research, right? And so storytelling is absolutely the one and only most important skill that you can develop from an influence perspective, because everything that sits above it in terms of power and pathway are macro level lifetime things that you can work on. Things like the pathway that sits above storytelling is leading by example. Well, that's just, you just have to do it all the time. <laughs> Right. And the and the power sources that sit above storytelling and influence is um, your personal perseverance and grit and your network. And both of those are also lifetime journeys to build. But storytelling is a skill that is learnable. It's a skill that can be fit into a concrete moment or experience. It applies to all different kinds of situations, interviews, presentations, talks, right? Podcasts, <laughs> right? There's so many opportunities and moments for storytelling to become relevant in your journey toward being an inspirational leader that it has become for us at Wolf and Heron the most important skill that we teach. And when we look actually at our revenue for 20, 2019, storytelling was responsible for 64% of our revenue. Just in, even though we teach all kinds of um, influence skills, storytelling is very important and it's very popular. And to your point earlier, maybe a little overused and maybe a little trendy, but we're going to ride that wave. So just for context, what are some of the other influences that you touch on in your work? Yeah. So the other really popular influence skills that we teach are related to the nine power sources because influence power is something that you can build irrespective of who you are, where you are in your influence on your journey and irrespective of a specific influence target or objective. So it's something that we can all focus on right now, which is great. Number one is grit. And so we help people with uh, willpower development skills, um, how to become more focused how to develop a vision, how to make that vision compelling enough that they want to follow it, how to get their own emotional investment in that so that that helps with their willpower. So we spend a lot of time on grit and willpower. And then um, the other one that we spend a lot of time with that, that is interesting to early and mid-career folks is network. Um, and that's because network is about relationship depth and breadth. And so a lot of folks, and especially with early and mid-career professionals, they don't really know, first of all, how powerful network is, and secondly, how to build it with intentionality. And so we do help a lot of people with 
thinking about their network and thinking about how they can leverage it to, to build their influence over time. And then, of course, there's other things, especially when we work with corporations and bigger businesses, things like personal brand, things like you know basic presentation skills and presence and gravitas. All of those skills become relevant when we talk about influence. I love that so much. I'm like, how do I join the club? <laughs> how do I become part of Wolf and Aaron? <laughs> Didn't I offer you a job already? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I might have to honestly reconsider my options. No, <laughs> no, honestly, like everything you spoke to, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I'm like making my list in my head of things I want to ask you about after this, because if I do it now, we'll totally get off track. But I think um, all of that is so interesting. The network one, network is something that for me, since I lost my job recently, is that I have tapped into more than ever before. And I'm not, I'm very young in my career still, but I definitely, my network is as big as it's ever been. And um, I've never had to use it in the way that I've had to use it the past month. And all of a sudden, like all those professors from my business classes in college being like network, 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 and me like signing up for networking events and never going, um, it all is suddenly making sense. I'm like, yo, this is not just something that people spit at you. This is real. (laughs) Network is keys to the kingdom. No, network is amazing. And actually it's true. Most people first realize the power of their network when they're job hunting, because actually statistically, I think I'm going to misquote the statistic. So I won't, I won't try to give you the exact numbers, but the vast majority of people who find jobs, find their job through a loose acquaintance, right? It's someone who's in their network, but it's not their best friend. But it's someone that's sort of in their orbit. And it's those people that are going to be your resource for jobs, which is great. To your point about network, what's really interesting about it is that it can feel extremely draining to go and quote unquote network and go to those networking events and hold your cocktail drink in one hand and your business cards in the other and try to have authentic connection. And so people hate it. People absolutely hate it. And so a lot of what we teach when we're teaching networking as a skill is how to lean into building and and giving to your network in a way that's authentic so that when you do need to call upon your network for some help, you've got really strong, really powerful relationships that are easy to leverage rather than messaging that professor that probably doesn't remember you and asking (laughs) for a favor. In your work, you focus specifically on influential storytelling as distinct from storytelling for entertainment, creative writing, Hollywood storytelling, or any of the other ways storytelling can be applied. What makes a story influential? So Wolf and Heron has developed a framework that overlays good storytelling with the science of influence. And we have tried to distill it down to the four key concepts that are very important that make a story influential. So I'll just go through those four key concepts. The first is keep it real. That means your story has to be personally relevant. It has to reveal some authenticity and truth about you, the storyteller. And that's because if you want to be influential, you have to create a connection, a real relationship between you as the storyteller and the audience that you're trying to influence. And the best way to do that is by is through your, your authenticity. Very often we tell people that the best stories are the ones where you share something imperfect about yourself, something about your, human, your humanity, your failures, your mistakes, your misunderstandings, the challenges, the you know, valley of despair, as you mentioned earlier. 
right? It's those that are really great fodder for the stories that keep it real because that's where you expose something about your authenticity that the audience relates to. And as a result, they learn to like and trust you a little bit more. So that's the first one, keep it real. The second one is invite curiosity. We are problem-solving creatures. We like to be interested in things. We, we like to be curious. And so a story that is influential is a story that captures attention and holds it. And the way to do that is to drop clues and leave little kind of Easter eggs along your storyline that allow your story, your audience to actually figure it out before you get there. It's almost like we always have this metaphor of the, of the path in the woods where you're walking and you're always kind of curious about what's around the bend, what's around the bend, and you're always promised the big view, right? And in some ways, this opportunity, when you finally get to the big view at the top, it's much more compelling because you were curious about it all the way along the way. And so invite curiosity is what will hold your audience. It's what captures their intention. It's what makes sure that they will hear what you have to say. The third is engage emotion. And this is because emotions are physiological experiences that we have in our bodies. If you can tell a story that activates the physiological sensations of your audience members, what you've transformed your story into is an actual experience. It's no longer a cerebral processing thing. It's a, it's a physiological experience. And we all know that experiences are more memorable. They're stickier. They do a better job of holding onto information. And so if you want to com communicate a message and have your audience actually remember it, it needs to have emotional components built into the story so that your audience has a physiological experience to remember it by. And then the last one is pick one theme. And this is where we are the most different from other storytellers who tell stories for entertainment or something else. And that's because for, from an influence perspective, very much what's important about influence is getting your message across and making sure that it's heard and making sure that it's remembered. And the easiest way to do that is to make your message simple. We are, especially now, man, inundated with so much information, so much stuff that we have to process that we, we get information processing fatigue. And so if you want your story to be influential, you need to make the point of your story very, very clear. And there can only be one point. There can only be one thing that your story communicates. And so if you can do that, your audience will walk away remembering what the point is and going, oh, right. Okay. So I'll repeat those four again. It's keep it real, invite curiosity, engage emotion, and pick one theme. If you do those four things, your story's influential. I'm going to use that next time I tell a story at my storytelling event, whenever the next time is, because I'm not sure given COVID situation. But when you start talking about emotions, like verbalizing emotion to create an experience for the audience, that actually gave me chills when you were talking about it. I think when I go to my storytelling event, the stories that the one thing that connects me most to the storyteller, it doesn't even matter what the story's about. It could be funny. It could be sad, but they like give me chills of some sort. They somehow get inside of me and like, it, like get to my emotion by creating that experience. Well, I'll give you a couple more tips on the engage emotion thing since you, you're, you're curious. First off, emotions are the one thing that connect us as human beings in terms of our experience. We all, even though we all have different experiences, we all experience the same emotions. And so if you're telling a story about some emotional experience that you have, 
you will absolutely connect with your audience, even if they have never been in the exact situation. So it also helps with the keep it real piece, which is kind of nice. It's like a double hitter. And then the, the one little tidbit for you to think about, if you are thinking about how do you really bring out the emotional components of your story, the, the first piece of advice I always offer people is the emotion words, I was sad, I was happy, I was frustrated, are actually cerebral. They're not compelling. If instead you say, I felt my heart sink, or I could feel the hairs on the back of my head stand up, right? It's like, if you actually describe the physiological experience of the emotion, that's when the audience will start to feel activated. For some of us, becoming a storyteller can feel overwhelming because we aren't sure exactly where to start. How does one dip their toes into storytelling process and evolve that skill over time? Yeah, this is a good question. And we get it very often. Where do I start? How do I start? Oh my God, it's so overwhelming. Or the other question we always get is, I don't have any stories, which is kind of the same thing. Where we tell people to start is actually start at home. Start with yourself. Start internally. And an easy way to do that is to develop a reflection routine. Because it's through that reflection routine that you will start to develop the habit of noticing when the stories happen in your life. Kara and I have a monthly routine in our business where we once a month, sit down and say, what are the three top celebrations? And what are the three top lessons learned from this month? All six of those are stories. We don't try to craft the story, but we note, okay, this could be a story one day, right? And so it's just the routine of reflection and writing down ideas for what could one day become a story that then helps you notice and keep your eyes and ears open for the moments that are important. The second thing is write it. And what's interesting about the writing process, there's so many people that I talk to who who don't want to write. They're like, oh, I'm a verbal person. I'm a verbal storyteller. I don't do the writing thing. And I tell them, write it anyway, because there's a couple of things that are important about writing. First, writing forces you to get clear. It forces clarity and articulation in terms of your thoughts. It also locks you into figuring out what's your sequencing. How does your action follow from one step to the next? And and it also finally gives you something to then work with. Once you have it on the page, you can start to edit it, start to refine it. You can never refine a, a story that you just tell and retell and retell and never actually reflect on. Right? And by having it written down, you can actually start to look at it with a higher bird's eye view and go, okay, how would this story work better? And then the third thing is find friendly audiences, your partners, your friends. These are really good places to go. And the next time you're at brunch, you say, okay, guys, I want to practice a five minute story. And then I want five minutes of feedback. And nobody will complain about listening to a story, especially one that you've tried to write at least once and thought about for a hot second, because it will be better than 90% of the stories that you probably would otherwise tell at brunch. <laughs> right? And so it's, it's, um, it's really, a, it's, a, it's about intentionality. It's about thinking and focusing just five seconds on, okay, what might my story be? And it's about developing a routine of figuring out what those stories are. 
I actually recently coached a woman who had a story. She had a very vivid, vivid story. She was a hostage in a bank robbery. You know, you know, she's living it knowing this is going to be a story, right? And, and not all of us have these moments all the time. So she clearly had a story. What was interesting about her was that she had, she still had so much processing to do, right? She was, when she was telling me the story, it was coming out in flashes. It was kind of like, oh, well, then this was happening. And then I was crawling across the, the, the broken glass on the floor. And then there was the scene in this bathroom, but it's all very disconnected because she hasn't processed it yet. And so my advice to her again was write it, right? And even just write the flashes and see how they connect. And what is interesting about the process of just, you know, writing and rewriting and evaluating and telling and retelling and getting feedback is that it's through that process that you find what your story is. You don't know what it is when you start. And if you hope that you're going to have a perfect gem, the first time you share the story, it's never going to happen. Let the story be rough. Let it be unfinished. Let your audience give you feedback on, oh, I heard this theme that you didn't really talk about, but you could, right? Or, oh, actually, why don't you start in the middle of the story instead of the beginning, right? And it's that feedback that helps you refine your story. I love the word intentionality because it, I think it, it probably ties into when you talk about willpower too, because I think a lot of us, and I, I was talking about this on a podcast earlier about action being a muscle and something you have to practice. Like you can be an idea generator and that's really amazing and ideas are great, but they're only as great as like the execution of the idea. So we get stuck in the idea generation. And so I think of all the people out there during quarantine who are thinking of all the stories that they could tell and thinking about the day they might be able to tell them, um, but haven't sat down and actually wrote it or processed it. And I also recognize that writing doesn't come naturally to everybody and that it can be really scary. Well, the other thing that's interesting about writing, I'm not a writer. I don't like writing. It's usually the stuff that I resist until Kara's like, write it before the end of the day. <laughs> What's interesting about writing stories is that I will write a story and then I'll put it away and I'll tell it. Now that I've practiced it and I've refined it, I'll tell it and I'll tell it for a year. And then I'll go back to the story that I wrote and be like, that's wrong. That's not the story that I remember. And it's because as you tell your story, as you retell and retell and retell, your story shifts. It absolutely shifts. And so what is also powerful about writing it is that it helps you stay true to your authenticity because you can remember, you can go back to it and be like, this is a record. This is a stamp that's like time stamped with like the story as it was in that moment. And I think that that's really valuable, especially now as I, as I tell more and more stories. I'm, re I'm realizing how much I have, I, I am liberal with my creative license. <laughs> oh yeah. Creative liberty for sure. It's funny when I was, I, when I moved to Switzerland to live with your sister, I was um, initially quit my job and moved out there so that I could write some sort of memoir about my experience traveling. And at the end of the year, it was less a memoir and more a creative nonfiction. <laughs> I stopped saying I'm writing a memoir, which honestly sounded a little bit like kind of aggressive for a 25 year old is like writing a memoir. Like what life have you lived already? But um, yeah, it turned much more into like a, cre a creative nonfiction where I was taking a lot of creative liberties. And it's just, it is fun that way. You can sort of um, start to engage your imagination, which makes you feel young and playful. And uh, I think that's important as we get older. 
So what is next for you? And I want to know what's next for Wolf and Heron as well, but you as an individual, as someone who is, has created this amazing company with your partner, Kara, what's next for you? Ooh, that's an interesting distinction. I think Molly, as an entrepreneur, I don't know how to separate myself from my business. <laughs> you know, it's so funny too, because when we started Wolf and Heron, we were actually very intentional about it being Wolf and Heron and not Stephanie and Kara. You know, we don't, we didn't name our business Stephanie Judd Consulting or Kara Davidson. We were like, no, 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 no. We are a business and then we are individuals. And yet four years in, I'm like, I don't, I don't know how that's separated. <laughs> if I think about like outside of Wolf and Heron, my, my, my micro universe is, you know, my relationship with my husband, it's hiking and it's aerial silk dancing. And that's kind of what I'm doing, especially now that it's COVID and I can't really do the socializing that I like to do. Um, the hiking and the hanging out with my husband and the silks are all things I can do in the COVID reality that is our new normal. You know, that's, that's what I will do. That's what I will keep doing, at least for now. And what's next for Wolf and Heron? You know, this... Coronavirus pandemic has been an interesting turning point for us as a business. We were dominantly packaging our, our knowledge in the form of in-person workshops, interactive workshops. And these workshops were dominantly purchased as services by corporations, big organizations, companies that had learning and development teams that needed to bring in professional development opportunities for their people. Well, coronavirus has hit. In-person experiences are off the table for the foreseeable future, and companies are very uninterested in developing their people when they're focused on trying to save their jobs. So we have had to pivot. And in some ways, it's interesting because our pivot is about moving more to a B2C model we're marketing much more to individual consumers. And that is something we always thought we would do, but in 10 years. And now we're doing it sooner. And so in some ways, I think it's like we're doing push-ups for the business. We're, we're, we're doing all of the going back to the gym and getting strong in a totally new area. And it feels very uncertain and it's very shaky and a lot of what we're doing is experimenting, 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 experimenting. We're trying to fail as fast as we can. We're trying to learn as fast as we can. And I don't know what's next. We do know that we have, we have started experimenting with something we call story hour, which is just a virtual get together for, with, for anyone, for anyone that's interested in practicing their storytelling skills. It's free. It's, it's a zoom meeting and we give four people, a platform to share a story and collect, collect feedback. They share a five minute story. They get feedback for five minutes. And it's a super, super low stakes, casual environment that is becoming really popular, really fast. We're going to do that for the foreseeable future. We keep doing that. It's now every week, 1 PM Eastern. You can sign up wolfandheron.com. We'll put the link in the show notes. I've been trying to sign up, but I'm a little nervous, quite honestly. Don't be. It's so cash. It's so okay. casual. And you can come just to listen because okay. there is there is also some power in hearing stories and then hearing feedback on those stories. Even if you don't want to share your own story, it's a, it's a great forum and it's free. 
Like, yes, come. Absolutely. And all the listeners who are listening, come. Everyone, it's so much unpack fun. the pursuit, fam. Let's go rally the troops. <laughs> Get we them next. Yeah, we have a lot of fun with that. So we're 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 playing with that, and then we're also leaning into the idea of a of a an e course, a storytelling e course. Nice. We're learning. We're leaning into the idea of smaller coaching modules that are focused on the different power sources because we have had several people come to us and say, "I just want to work on willpower," or "I just want to work on my network." And so right. we're, we're leaning into that. We're playing with a lot of different things and who knows what Wolf and Heron will be in six months or a year. I don't know. And that's the heart of entrepreneurship. And yep. that is what this podcast is all about is navigating uncharted waters or being uncertain and not being afraid to dive in head first. It's what you have to do. And the companies that make it through this pandemic successfully are going to be the ones that weren't afraid to pivot and get a bit unfamiliar and get their hands dirty in spaces that are different for them. Well, the hope is that if we make it out the other side of this, we're going to be 10x stronger than we were coming in. And so that's what we keep reminding ourselves of. If we can hold on, we're going to do just fine. A hundred percent. That's awesome. So we asked this question to all of our guests on this podcast. What does unpack the pursuit mean to you? Have you ever heard of bullet journaling? No. All right. This is another thing for you to go and geek out on. Ryder Carroll developed a methodology of journaling that is really, it's, it's kind of a combination of future planning and to-do lists and a bunch of different things. He has a whole methodology uh, and his tagline, I think I wrote it down somewhere. His tagline is to track the past, organize the present and design the future. And when I first discovered bullet journaling, I actually nerded out on all of the beautiful spreads that people would do and the creative expression that people had in their journals and oh my God, the drawings and it was so gorgeous and lovely. And then I launched Wolf and Heron with Kara and we were both into bullet journaling and we thought that bullet journaling was something that would help us with the rigor of our business and with the planning and the sort of, you know, let's get organized side of our business. And so we actually adapted his bullet journaling methodology to a virtual Google doc that the two of us share. Now that we're four years in and we have four years of this bullet journal, when you ask me, what does unpack the pursuit mean to me? I think of that bullet journal. I think of the combination of intentionality about planning for the future. I think about also looking to the record that we have and remembering the story that we've lived. And all of this together, you know, it's like, I, I think also about the fact that this methodology is, has a built-in telescoping process, which is, you know, like, what are the details of today, but also what's the big picture of the year? right? And you're constantly moving back and forth up and down this telescope. And as we think about our business, and as I think about when you talk about unpack the pursuit, I think about that process being about telescoping up and down, up and down constantly. You know, when we're in the details and when we're in the weeds, Carol will be like, wait, 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 let's step back. What's the big picture? Let's unpack this, right? And then once we have the big picture, we'll be like, no, no, no. But what does this big picture really mean? from a step-by-step pers- like perspective. And then we go detailed again. And it's that up and down that, that I keep coming back to that is not only the strength of us as a partnership and the strength of us as a business, but also you know, your, your word, Unpack the Pursuit, just brought that to mind for me. Selfishly, I love this question the most, but 
it's because people bring such creative thoughts to this question. And that's why I try not to give too many boundaries about what this question is, like kind of take it as you will. I love that metaphor of telescoping. I'm really glad you came on here today. This has been a really refreshing conversation for me. I'm going to make sure all of your contact information and all of Wolf and Heron's contact information is in the show notes for our listeners. So if anyone listening feels inspired by what we were talking about today and wants to check this out, please do so. Reach out to Stephanie. She's an amazing person to have in your network. Wink, wink. We appreciate you listening today. If you guys have other stories you want to talk about, we talk about entrepreneurship, about, I was about to say politics, and I'm like, we've never talked about politics once on Unpack the Pursuit. It's, it's late in the day, guys, so I'm losing steam over here. But whatever stories you have about your pursuit that you want to chat about, reach out to Natalie and I. We love hearing your stories, and we'd love to have you on the podcast. You can reach us on Instagram at Unpack the Pursuit or Gmail, unpackthepursuit at gmail.com. And we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you, Stephanie, so much. So glad you're here. Thanks so much for having me. 